11 o'clock. Uh, welcome to the final hour of the Talking Point. Firstly, I think I must uh, kick off this hour by apologizing to lots of our listeners. I am noting all of the complaints that you've been sending through uh, over the last two hours in terms of the audio quality that you are getting through on your end of the channel. And I really do apologize. Um, yeah, m- much of it was unavoidable because of the location uh, where we are at today. But we certainly hope that it'll get easier uh, now with the final hour and less people to try and manage but do receive my very very um, sincere apology Uh, coming up in this hour we're going to be focusing on the health feature as we do every Wednesday final hour of the show and today we're going to be taking a look at epilepsy and how to manage epilepsy Uh, our guests Dr. Naidu and um, Charlene Castle are going to be joining us shortly before we get to that I want to take some of the voice notes that you've been sending through this hour and not the voice notes where you're complaining about the quality of sound, uh, which you have every right to and you should, uh, but just on some of the issues that uh, we have been discussing. Hi, Kathy. This is KM from Frenereng. I hear people are, are taking uh, ESCOM uh, because of this load shedding, but we can still ask ourselves, the utility that is still used, it was used just during apartheid, and the people in South Africa... The population was not stretched like we are stretched now. We have, we are actually overpopulated. We have people from all over the world are here in South Africa and they are consuming electricity together with the South Africans. So we must just pay, pay for the services so that ESCOM can run properly. Thank you very much. Good morning, Kathy Lukman, Cape Town. Kathy Salga is useless. These municipalities is going down for decades. What are they doing? I mean, money gets lost, money gets stolen. When is these incompetent uh, municipality staff managers being fired or charged? Where are they? It's every time uh, it's conferences and, and meetings and, and all this kind of stuff, but nothing happens. It's, it's just an, just another day. Thank you. Hello, what's Kevin? Uh, speaking, I'd like to be anonymous, actually. Osgivy, ESCOM can solve this thing because I mean, if we can go to Western Cape throughout the for the better parts of the province, they have these turbines that helps them to generate enough electricity. And when you come down until just before Harib, they have those turbines. So why couldn't they install the turbines for the better part of the country? I mean, they could have just done it. It will help. I'm a drug driver, and it's not only ESCOM that we complain about. You go to the price fuel. We deliver fuel abroad, but they buy it cheap, but we're buying it expensive. I mean, something is not right. Who is government? Where does he or she stay? Who is government? Good morning, Katie and the listeners of SFM. This must be calling from Cape Town. Uh, I want to say this to my fellow South Africans. Actually, ESCOM is the shadow of its owner. That is the ruling party uh, through the government. Um, The government, there's no government without the ruling party. I can put my head on the block. Don't separate these things. Don't separate ESCOM from the master. And then 
that is why nobody will change that it cannot change its worsening even ramaphosa promised we thought that he was we we're just being fooled yeah as they say you can fool people i don't know for how long but it will not change there is no turning point until we change the head of this engine the train will move swiftly thank you hi kathy you know if the councillors can tell us the truth here because we the people of south africa the citizens we are the one who's feeding the pinch here around the different municipalities because they know what they are doing if your ward is led by an opposition i'm telling you they are not going to get fresh air to render the services around the ward they know it if the the, the ward councillor is is not the, the the ruling party they struggle a lot thank you very much good morning kathy uh, uh, in Deben. Uh, um, regarding this uh, uh, municipality issues, uh, it is not going to go anywhere because uh, in South Africa there is no discipline. From the top, for, if I'm saying from the top, from number one to number hundred, no discipline whatsoever, especially in, on the government institutions or departments, uh, uh, no discipline whatsoever. Uh, 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 you can go to the uh, private sector, it's where you realize that there is a discipline. Uh, 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 if you do something wrong, you are uh, liable for it. Not like in the government, people getting away with murders, no one uh, uh, take care of that. Thank you very much. All right. Thanks for those WhatsApp voice notes that you've been sending through to the show. And certainly no surprises, the fact that ESCOM is uh, one of the big issues that is still um, on the agenda because it's something that we're having to live with, make plans around, uh, you know, on a day-to-day -day basis. Every hour, you know, you're deciding, if I cook at this time, maybe I'll be able to get supper ready before there's the next round of load shedding. So it really affects our lives in a very real way. At the final hour of the show, we're going to, we're focusing on our health feature. Today we're talking about epilepsy. According to Epilepsy South Africa, it affects one in every hundred people in this country. It really comes down to uh, at least half a million based on the total population, at least if we're working off a figure of 52 million. Uh, of course, medical journal journals would likely uh, describe epilepsy as a neurological disorder. Let me welcome onto the show Dr. An Ansuya Naidu, who is a neurologist. Dr. Naidu, good morning to you. Thanks for your time this morning. Good morning. Thanks for having me on your show. Charlene Castle is the National Director at Epilepsy South Africa. Charlene, good morning to you as well. Good morning to you and to all your listeners on FM and thank you for having me this, this morning. I, I think a good place to start would be perhaps to hear from the both of you in terms of uh, the prevalence of epilepsy in South Africa. I know I just read that figure. Uh, that's from Epilepsy South Africa, around one in every hundred people. But Charlene, perhaps you can kick us off. What does that number really mean? So, 
Thank you, Cathy. I think what that number really means is we've taken that number from global statistics. We've taken that number down to uh, our healthcare system and to reported cases in the private and public system. So remember, that number is the known persons with epilepsy. There are many, many, many other people out in rural, peri-urban and urban areas that don't seek medical assistance. So our whole infrastructure at Epilepsy South Africa is about reaching those, those communities. So although we talk about one out of 100 people in South Africa, which is a very, very, very concerning and high statistic, we still believe that there's many more people with epilepsy. Dr. Naidu, what causes epilepsy? Uh, so the, the causes of epilepsy are, are quite broad. Um, I think it's imp- what's important to understand is to, to understand that epilepsy is a generic term um, to, which looks at a variety of disorders which are characterized by seizures. So it's important to understand that a person with epilepsy has an underlying condition, and these can be a variety of, um, of causes, ranging from infection to metabolic causes, immune causes. It can be a genetic problem or what we refer to as a structural brain problem where there's an actual uh, focus or lesion in the brain, for example, a stroke or a brain trauma. So, so what is the work that you as physicians do in order to try and un- identify what's really going on with somebody? So it's quite a um, detailed process that uh, one has to undertake. Um, the, when a patient presents to us with epilepsy, the first thing that we would do is we would assess the patient and we do uh, history taking. And with patients with epilepsy, the diagnosis is usually made on history. So it's very important to take a detailed account of what's happening to the patient during the event. Often the patient themselves cannot remember um, or describe what is happening to them because they would have experienced either a loss of awareness or loss of consciousness during the event. And the history is very reliant on witnesses who have seen the episode, and it's usually family members um, where they would describe to us what happened. Um, And it's quite quite a detailed process where you are able, you're actually able to ascertain which part of the brain is affected just from the history. We then go on to examine the patient, Um, but like I said, you often would find a normal neurological exam in in these patients, and we then go on to do a detailed um, investigative process. Um, This consists of uh, doing imaging studies, for example, a CT scan or an MRI scan. We do a series of blood tests. We may do a procedure called a lumbar puncture, where we have to insert a needle into the spine of the patient and send off fluid um, that surrounds the brain for testing, Um, as well as we'd have to do a more specific test for epilepsy, which is referred to as an EEG or an electroencephalogram. And this looks for abnormal electrical discharges in the brain and is able to guide us as to um, exactly where the epilepsy is originating from in the brain. Mm. 
Charlene, just listening to 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 that from um, Dr. Naidu, it sounds to me that there's a lot of awareness that needs to be created, uh, including with families, especially if they're going to be so integral to the process of helping to at least describe what somebody is going through and ultimately contribute to what may be a final diagnosis here. So, one one of the things that that we tr- truly, truly see is a lot of trauma with families around living, living with with a family member or a best friend that is a person with epilepsy. And families can describe seizures, and I totally agree with Dr. Naidu and, and the assessment of using those dialogues and those, those that important information. However, there's also a lot of ignorance around what is a seizure and how to identify a seizure and what does a seizure actually look like? What are the do's and don'ts of managing a seizure? How do we, how do we save a life? So I think the, the support structures of family members with persons with epilepsy is so critical. And that comes down to civil organizations like ourselves that are able to provide that, that structure and the, the, social work uh, support for those individuals. You know, Kathy, to, to even build on this conversation, the World Health Assembly has actually absolutely has now ratified on the 27th of May, now, an uh, intersectoral global action plan. And what that means is that epilepsy is now a public health imperative and there's action plans happening within every country. And this was ratified by 117 countries. So it really is now focusing on the improvement of care and treatment for people with epilepsy and people affected by epilepsy. So it really is top of the agenda to give families support and trauma counseling. Dr. Naidu, let me go back to this issue of seizures and helping people identify what a seizure is. Okay. So um, if I have to give you what the International League Against Epilepsy defines a seizure as, so in medical terms, it's a, a sudden, transient, abnormal phenomenon, which can include various manifestations. And this can be a loss of consciousness or a loss of awareness, it can be what we refer to as motor events, sensory events, autonomic or cognitive events. So let me break that down. Um, um, so what, what you would actually see is that a patient could zone out or stay into space. Um, so they would be present and awake, but they would not be able to respond to you or they would not be able to hear you. So that's a particular mm-hmm. type of seizure. Other types of seizures, the patients may lose consciousness completely, where they would fall to the ground, they'd be unconscious. And either type of seizures, we, we classify them as either focal or generalized, and they can be associated with, um, with other types of uh, symptoms and signs. So when I refer to motor signs, you may see jerking of, um, of a patient, jerking of one side of the body or both sides of the body, but that doesn't always occur. And I think that's where the confusion um, often comes about of the difficulty, particularly with families and history taking, is that a seizure doesn't always look like what we would imagine we would see or on TV, for example, uh, where you see somebody fall to the ground and jerking. It can be very subtle. 
And that's where mm-hmm. where the other symptoms come about, where patients may just describe tingling of parts of the body, or they may lose awareness and start fidgeting or picking at um, um, at things around them. You find abnormal movements of the mouth. You can have cognitive symptoms. For example, they could have psychiatric manifestations of um, of being in an unfamiliar place or, or, or experiencing a familiar experience or autonomic symptoms of just feeling dizzy, palpitations, sweating. So it's very broad. Um, but the important thing is that it's a sudden start and a sudden end, um, and it often is a very stereotyped event. So it's the same episode that repeats itself. And following the event, there's often a period of confusion um, that may last a, a variable duration of a few hours. The patient is often very tired. They may experience um, headaches in that uh, post-seizure period. Are, are there commonalities between the early onset of a stroke and, uh, and, 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 and seizures and how those manifest? And, and perhaps if you can just highlight then what the, the, the differences are um, so that we don't confuse them. Yeah, certainly. So um, that's one of the things that, that we do as clinicians is that when somebody presents with a, a, with a, a history suggestive of seizures, um, it's our job to try and figure out if this is a stroke or if it's a seizure or if it's a, a simple fainting episode. Um, so with a stroke, um, it's usually um, there will not be a loss of consciousness associated with it, and it will not be a transient event. So it means that if a patient sustains a deficit, whether it's a motor deficit, so they've developed a hemiparesis or a weakness of an arm or a leg, or they've got a sensory deficit so they can't feel over parts of their body, it will be a permanent deficit, which means that it occurred very suddenly and the symptoms do not resolve. So when the patient comes to us and we examine the patient, they will still have those uh, findings on clinical examination. And a stroke mm-hmm. is often associated with weakness of the face, drooling, speech abnormalities, and swallowing problems. But the key is that it's very sudden and it doesn't go away. As opposed to a seizure, where, like I said, it's a transient event. So it has a clear start and a clear end, and it's associated yeah. with what we refer to as a post-ictal period, where a patient mm-hmm. has a typical confusion um, they may be unable to recognize family members for a, for a few minutes. Uh, they may feel very tired. They may have headaches. Um, and it's a repeated event uh, of the sh- very short duration, usually lasting uh, one to three minutes. Um, so very, very short. In that period it's, it, that, it's, that the event is occurring, families often describe it as longer because it feels it's so traumatic and it mm. feels so yeah. long. Yeah. That is usually short. Uh, Dr. Naidu, at, at what age um, do, do seizures begin to manifest? I mean, is this something that happens to people of all ages? Yes, it can occur uh, at any age, um, depending on the underlying cause. But we do see a peak incidence occurring in younger age groups. So under 20, uh, you'd find a peak. And in older age groups, so over 60, you'd find a peak. And that's usually related to the underlying etiology which, which we, or cause, which we touched on briefly earlier. Mm-hmm. 
We're focusing on epilepsy for our health feature today. Uh, Dr. Ansuya Naidu is a neurologist and uh, she focuses in the area of epilepsy. Charlene Castle is the National Director at Epilepsy South Africa. And, you know, our purpose is to learn more about epilepsy. But as always, you'll have an opportunity to call in, ask specific questions. Uh, perhaps you're living with epilepsy and maybe you have uh, family members that have been diagnosed with this illness and there are some things that you want to share with us for uh, our collective learning uh, or even specific questions that you may want help with from um, our two guests on the line. So the number to dial 011-714-2006 uh, that's the number on our phone lines and 0614-104-107. Dineo Mutawung is standing by with your 1130 news headlines. The Talking Point with Kathy Motlatana, weekdays, 9 a.m. till midday. Thanks for that, Dineo. Charlene, before we get into the issue of treatment, I just want to come back to you briefly because, you know, you, you've talked about the trauma that families often go through when they have to see uh, their loved ones experiencing a seizure. But uh, I wonder from the perspective of the individual that is involved, what is the, the process and even the conversations that are had with them? Because it's not like people can prepare for when they have a seizure. It's just something that takes place. So, Kathy, I think that the advice for a person that is diagnosed, is a diagnosed person with epilepsy, is very, very multi-pronged approach in that, yes, some, some individuals have what we refer to as auras where they do know that a seizure is coming on and some do have a sudden onset. But what we, we do advocate is we, we talk about a lot, a lot of what does a person with epilepsy do and things that they shouldn't be doing. And I think that's a, a really important conversation to, to be having as well with a person with epilepsy to go, you know, make sure you are sleeping enough. Make sure you are eating healthy, healthy, and you're creating a healthy lifestyle for yourself. Be, be careful about the activities you're taking part in every day. Be conscious of things that can put you in dangerous situations and that could jeopardize your life. Because the reality is having a large, large seizure can absolutely jeopardize one's life. Uh, and I think something, you know, I'm a person with epilepsy and something much later in life I, I learned, and it's quite difficult, is for a person with epilepsy, it's to speak out and say, I have epilepsy, and should I have a seizure, this is how to keep me safe and how to look after me. And the sudden mm-hmm. onset of a seizure is very, very scary for people around you as well as yourself because when you wake up, you, you are unaware, like Dr. Naidu said, sometimes that you've actually had a seizure, you're disorientated, you have all these follow-up symptoms and follow-up behaviors. So... You know, there are a number of things that, that a person with epilepsy, make sure your medication, that you take it every day consistently and you don't think, okay, well, I, I haven't had a seizure for a while, so I'll just stop my medication. You, you have epilepsy and it's a reality that needs to be dealt with. The, mm-hmm. the, be in touch with your doctor. But the biggest thing I can say to a person with epilepsy is speak out about it and don't be ashamed. 
you have a neurological disorder that is a disability. And that's something that I get asked a lot. Is epilepsy a disability? And I'm sure your callers are going to ask, yes, it's considered an invisible disability uh, in South Africa and globally. So, but when you say that, Charlene, effectively what you're saying is that it is going to impact your quality of life. And there are things that perhaps people, especially those who've been diagnosed with epilepsy, must be mindful of. These activities that you speak about that um, may put one at greater risk, what are some of those? So, Cathy, you know, that's also such a relevant question. And it goes to the quality of life. So what does common sense also dictate to most people, and, and we're specifically speaking about people with epilepsy, is don't, don't take or drink alcohol. Alcohol is a stimulant. Drugs, an absolute no-no, they override your medication. Uh, things like when you have a bath, rather shower if you know that you are having episodes of seizures that you might not have. We have multiple people drowning uh, because of seizures in water. You, you don't swim alone, as an example. Don't go to a public bathroom in a shopping center and lock the door. I know it's uncomfortable, but don't, because especially when the walls go to the ceiling. Don't, don't participate in high-risk activities. So as an example, don't go bungee jumping, even though you think, I'm fine, I'm going to bungee jump. Just don't do it because it is, you are at high risk. So, you know, these are all things that you have to consider and the discipline of it and the acknowledgement that you have epilepsy is something that our social workers and each of us as persons with epilepsy need to be consistently speaking about because your self-esteem comes in, your confidence comes in, all those things, the rebellious spirit comes in. But it has to be an emotional intelligence that is also learned to say, I acknowledge that this is part of me. And it's not, we speak about a person with epilepsy, because it's very important, Kathy, as Dr. Naidu would agree, is that you are a person first, and then you have epilepsy. So those are some of the do's and don'ts for a person with epilepsy. And I hope that's valuable information around, around the neurological disorder to anybody listening. Mm. Dr. Naidu, let's talk about this issue of treatment and, uh, you know, the treatment options that are available for people with epilepsy. What do you look at as practitioners? So, um, uh, um, like, we, like it was mentioned, it's a multi-pronged approach. So, the one is counseling the patient on um, lifestyle factors to, to modify. So, we tell a patient that they have to sleep on time, eat regular meals, reduce stress in their life, um, uh, avoid uh, certain triggers. For example, with some patients, a trigger may be uh, lighting, uh, fluorescent lighting mm -hmm. or video games. So they'd have to be cognizant of that and um, modify their lifestyle ac uh, accordingly. Uh, we then have medical therapy. So there are various drugs that are available. But uh, the, the patient would have to first be seen by the doctor and their epilepsy would have to be classified in, into a particular syndrome. So we have two broad classifications where patients either have a focal onset of epilepsy, um, and this is usually a patient who has loss of awareness and doesn't have the typical jerking, 
Um, they may just have fidgeting um, and where they zone out. Or generalized epilepsy where they have jerking of the body and uh, where they lose consciousness. So depending on the type of epilepsy that we've classified you as having, we then direct treatment accordingly. So like I said, there are a variety of drugs available. I won't uh, give you all the names. <laughs> um, but therapies differ um, in terms of what's available in the private sector and in the public sector. Usually we start a patient on treatment. We aim for starting uh, one drug. Uh, we increase the drug very slowly in terms of dose until um, we reach a maximum level or we achieve seizure control. And if the patient is not responding, we then move on to a second agent, follow the same process of increasing slowly and watching seizure um, frequency, and then move on to a third agent. Um, like I said, that there are a few there are a few more drugs available in the private sector uh, to our patients as opposed to in the state sector. We are a little bit limited as to what's available, um, and we would treat a patient with the, with uh, medication. And as a, as a third option, there are certain epilepsy uh, types which are surgically remediable. So you would actually be able to do a brain surgery to remove the area of the brain from uh, where the seizure is originating. But that is not widely available in South Africa and is limited to the private sector. Um, it's not readily uh, available to the state sector and it's, um, it's, it's uh, kept for a, a particular type of epilepsy syndrome. And there are a few other um, non-medical non therapy um, interventions that we use. So something called the ketogenic diet, which again is, is kept for a specific type of epilepsy, usually childhood epilepsy syndrome and vagal mm -hmm. nerve stimulation. Dr. Naidu, a point was made earlier about people not having seizures and then deciding effectively to stop taking their medication. And it makes me think about the issue of being able to cure epilepsy. Is it something that is curable, that once you have it, you've taken mm -hmm. treatment, you feel like you're not having seizures, that's it, you're done, you no longer have epilepsy? So epilepsy is a chronic disorder, and by and large, it is not curable. However, again, it leads to the type of epilepsy and the underlying cause. So there are very few um, epilepsy syndromes which uh, have a self-limiting cause. So the, it's usually uh, epilepsies that start in childhood, and the epilepsy almost burns out as one gets older. Um, but that epilepsy would have to be diagnosed um, by a neurologist, and that syndrome would have to be defined. And if we then see that a patient is, um, is no longer having seizures and their um, EEGs are normal, then we would consider stopping treatment. But by and large, epilepsy is a chronic disorder and treatment should not be stopped. So, for example, if we've defined it, particularly if it's an adult-onset seizure, if we've done a brain scan and we see there's an actual um, focus or lesion, for example, an old stroke or a brain trauma or that is going to be there um, permanently. So, for example, scar tissue following brain trauma doesn't go away. A stroke causes a scar on the brain. It doesn't go away. So those types of epilepsies are going to require ongoing uh, treatment or lifelong treatment, as well as 
again, certain types of epilepsy syndrome that may be diagnosed in childhood are known to have a, um, a lifelong uh, course. So patients have to be counseled on compliance. They have to take their medication regularly, every day. Um, at the same time, they should not miss a dose, and they should not stop medication unless advised to do so by uh, a medical practitioner. And that's a very um, carefully thought-out decision between the doctor and the patient before uh, somebody is advised to do that. Mm. All right, we'll continue the conversation with Dr. Naidu and uh, Charlene Castle. I'll be taking your call, 11 Hashtag SFM Talking Point. All right, I've got a couple of questions that are coming through from our guests for uh, Dr. Naidu. She's a neurologist, and Charlene Castle is uh, the National Director at Epilepsy South Africa. So we're looking at epilepsy for our health feature for today. Dr. Naidu, I've got a question here. It's from Anonymous in Bloemfontein, uh, who says, Good morning, Kathy. My wife was diagnosed with an arteriovenous malformation and she was prescribed for uh, degranol medication does this illness in any way link with epilepsy we've tried to apply for chronic medical aid from our scheme but they declined the request saying the illness does not fall within the chronic illness even though the doctor has declared so uh, dr naidu your input Okay, um, if I can just clarify, it's an arteriovenous malformation, is that what... Uh, yes, yes, sorry, my pronunciation was way <laughs> off, but yes, AVM, he says. Yes, an AVM, okay. So that's what we would, uh, what I was referring to earlier as a structural brain problem, so that means that there's an actual focus from, um, uh, which is disrupting the electrical activity in the brain and where seizure is coming from. Uh, so yes, it can result in seizures, it's one of the... The symptoms or manifestations of an AVM, um, and I would, I would think that it. I mean, I, I, I don't, I can't really comment with regard to medical schemes, but um, it is a cause. It is a known cause of epilepsy. Um, yeah, and I would think it should be covered. Mm, mm, mm. So, uh, is there any particular advice that you would have for somebody like him? Um, look, my advice would be in terms of the medical treatment, uh, that type of condition would probably require lifelong anti-epileptic therapy, so it would be regarded mm. as a chronic condition. Um, there are uh, endovascular procedures which can be performed to reduce the size um, of the AVM, but that's uh, based on a neurosurgical decision. But in all likelihood, um, that focus will remain unless uh, until that's uh, AVM is attended to if it is surgically uh, remediable. Um, so right. that patient will have to be on treatment lifelong. Mm. Let me go to Junior in Mangawung. Good morning, Junior. Good morning, Kathy. Uh, yes. I, would just, I would just like to find out from your guests, and thank you for this really empowering topic that we are treating today. Um, I do have a friend who has actually been quite devastated by, by epilepsy, and it would seem that he was uh, or had a late onset or perhaps was caused by something else uh, that has not been determined. But this is a fully grown man who's got his own family, he's got two children. He worked and everything was fine until 
a couple of years ago when he really started experiencing epileptic seizures and attacks and stuff like that. Um, so I just wanted to check with the experts, uh, with your guests, as to can epilepsy be um, declared or characterized as a disability? And if so, at what point does that actually happen? And I'm asking this because obviously it means when someone has got a severe uh, disorder of epilepsy, it would obviously not enable them to undertake any form of work, um, especially because he was he was driving a lot. Uh, you know, the risk was much higher that if he gets an attack. And as a result of that, he got laid off from his work, you know, and now he's, his life has really took a very nasty turn because he now cannot really be able to take care of his children. So I just wanted to check whether can this be uh, declared a disability? If it is, you know, at what point and what would actually be the conditions that would lead to someone being perhaps declared to be suffering from some form of disability or having some form of disability and therefore being able to have some form of support from uh, from whichever authority that might be able to assist. Let me bring Charlene in here to talk about just the social aspects that you've touched on. Um, Charlene? Okay, so so you, you have asked, and, and thank you, you've asked multiple questions. So the first part is, yes, epilepsy is considered a disability, an invisible disability, 100%, um, in South Africa and globally. The second thing is that you're referring to workplace challenges for persons with epilepsy. The, there is a non-discrimination in labor law practice that supports all persons in South Africa from a range of, of different things. The, however, is that should a person with epilepsy undertake a role in work that can jeopardize their lives or other people's lives, the person that has epilepsy shouldn't be doing that role. So as an example, if you are a driver, like you're saying your friend is, and he is having uncontrolled seizures, he is at risk of killing himself and other people. So it becomes a, a really difficult conversation for to have with your friend in, in regard to that because the impact is that we know each person earning a salary in South Africa is supporting an average between six to eight other people. Um, particularly in the, the state of, of our world in South Africa specifically today. So being out of work now, the social impact is enormous. Can your friend be doing driving work? No, he shouldn't, and no, he couldn't be. In terms of next steps, because often then the next question is, if he goes for job job interviews, does he disclose? That is also his prerogative and his his right to disclose or not. But again, it's his responsibility to say, I'm going to jeopardize my life, my life and others, therefore I shouldn't be applying for this job. So, Cathy, I think there's so many layers to this, this question. Uh, mm. What else would you like me to address? Because there are multiple, and maybe your listener can clarify what I haven't answered uh, that he'd like me to still answer. Yeah. Uh, Junior, oh, sorry, are you sorry, Cathy. Carrie, so, yes. sorry, the last thing is what support exists. Uh, we've got branches in all six provinces plus a residential care centre in Limpopo. So depending where his friend is based, he can contact any of our branches and their details are on, on our website.
And there are social workers that go into communities and provide support for individuals with epilepsy and their families and their friends, their social circles, around exactly this because a lot of support is needed, particularly now that it's friends unemployed. So please reach out to our branches because there are tremendous support infrastructures that as an advocacy and services organization, civil society organization, we offer. All right. Thanks for that, Charlene. Dr. Naidu, any specific point you want to add there to Junior's question? Yes, what I would add is that um, I I would agree that epilepsy is considered a disability. We often are asked to complete forms for uh, social (coughs) grants um, with regard to the condition. And what determines whether you'd qualify for the grant or not is that even though it is a chronic condition, the patient has to have um, frequent, recurrent, disabling seizures, or it would have to interfere with their line of work, as it would be in this case, where it's a driver or, for example, a chef working with, um, you know, um, a, a stove or, or hot water, etc., where they would be putting themselves at risk and would be unable to continue in their occupational duties. So, yeah, it's a frequency of seizures has to be disabling. If it's somebody who's not having frequent disabling seizures and is able to continue their work, for example, an office job um, uh, where their occupation is not putting them at at risk, um, then that patient may not qualify for a social grant um, for Mm. epilepsy. All right. Let me take Albert and Randberg. Albert, good morning. Morning, morning. How are you? I'm all right. Thank you, Albert. I'm good. Uh, my patient's a little bit uh, similar to the man who just spoke now. I've got a cousin mm. who got the, those adverse disease. Uh, unfortunately, we took him to the public hospital. Uh, it was uh, He was going on, on, on those uh, treatments for long, and then up until they said, no, he qualified for that uh, grant. But those disease now is deteriorated up until now. When I went home, I found that the guy is in the pompo in Venda. Now the guy started, you know, his hands through those medical that they are giving him the, the, the pill and the injection. I don't know if that uh, right uh, medication. His hands now started to, you know, like he started to shake and his feet. He doesn't, you know, he's deteriorated now. But the guy was fine. He was waking in back up until he affected by those things, and then he just fall. He keep on falling. He keep on falling. Now, yes up until we put mm. into those medications. I don't know if that uh, the doctor are giving him the right medication because now it's worse. Worse since he gave him those uh, And and, and how long how long would you say how long would you say he's had it, Albert? Uh he, he started it uh, like uh, he got ten years back now. And the okay. guy was good. Okay, he, was so he was just gaining yeah. weight. He was just gaining weight. And then uh, they, they, they advised us to send him to the, uh, to the public hospital so that he must get those grants because we were taking him to the, the private doctors. They said, no, they can't approve the, the grant, so we must put him to the public hospital so that they can approve the grant. Uh, oh. After that, now, the guy now, through those medications, now, you know, he started to, to you know, he, he can't hold anything now. His hand, when he's standing his hand, Shaking the seats doesn't, I don't know. All right. All right, Albert, just stay on the line for me. Dr. Naidu. Yes. 
I'm just going to ask, does, uh, by any chance, does um, our listener know the names of the medications that his family member is on? Uh, for now, because I'm in Jobek, I, I sometimes I go home after a month. And the guy now, it's like, he's, he's, even his mind, he's losing his mind, because sometimes if you fall down, you find that his trousers are wet. And that thing, it was not happening before. He was just falling and then shake, shake mm-hmm. until maybe two minutes and then wake up. But now, since we put into that medication through public hospitals, uh, I'm telling you, it's, he's, he's always attending mm-hmm. the, the treatment every week, every week. And and you, do, you don't know the name of, of, of the medication here, Albert? I don't know the medication because we got a lot okay. of pills in the in, yeah. in this no at all. Okay. Kathy, may, may I jump in here? Yeah, yes, Charlene. <laughs> so what I, what I just wanted to say is that we do know in the grant space and in the local clinics that there does become shortages of medication. The medications do change at the different clinics and this does create a real social problem for the stability and stabilization of persons with epilepsy in in those mm-hmm. areas accessing the, the clinics, as well as the compounded challenge of the doctors changing within the clinics. Dr. Nadu is, 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 is at the front, I think, and, and has as much exposure as epilepsy as AIDS to this. Uh, but those, the doctors then are, are changed and regularly within the clinic. So the consistency of the type of medication, one of the availability, two of grants being paid late, three of medication being changed, affects so many people in South Africa that it, that's why the, the intersectorial global action plan is such a public, such an enormous thing that has happened because it really, really makes all the governments, particularly in South Africa, and putting this health imperative at the forefront of conversation. Dr. Naidu? Yeah, if I can just comment, um, you know, without seeing the patient and knowing all the information, um, what I can say is that the epilepsy medications are not, not like any medication, is not without side effects. And it does sound to me that um, the patient may be having a side effect of the medication or toxic levels, which means that the drug level builds up in the blood system, and then the, pa- the patient then experiences certain neurological um, uh, symptoms. Um, also, some of the drugs may interact with each other, um, and depending on the dose of the drug uh, or the types of drug, that the combination of drugs that the patient is on, it may push up the level of certain of the medications in, in, in the, the, the blood level of the drug. So patients can present with tremors or shaking. They can present with falls or unsteadiness. So my advice would be that um, the patient be taken back to their um, their uh, facility, health care facility, and uh, the doctors be informed of the symptoms and perform probably a blood test to look at the serum drug levels and, and re-look at the medication combination. Mm. Oh, it's been such yeah. an insightful conversation. And Albert, I hope that um, that advice will, will help you out a little bit. Okay, no problem. Uh, I will try to make a follow-up on that so that we can take him back to the doctor because uh, since then, uh, the guy doesn't work at all. Yeah, now, yeah. and it will, to, to it will probably also be good for you to, to have a, a history of the medication that he's been given, you know? Yes, we do have everything. Unfortunately, you know, in mm-hmm. the run areas, uh, we do have that problem whereby even if 
the doctors are giving you the medication. If you, you do not have that information, you, you just follow the, the, what the doctor said because you can't even argue with them. But even yes, if you see the yes. problem, then, you know, we always experience that problem. But I'm telling you, if you can mm. see the guy now, it's like he's losing even his mind. Every time yeah. when he falls, take maybe 18 minutes for him to stand up, and then you find that sometimes his trousers are wet. And the guy was waiting. I, I can tell you the guy was good. But now since we took All him right. to the public hospital, it's terrible now. Albert, maybe also get in touch with an organization like Epilepsy South Africa, just so that you can have that additional support um, for your family and uh, to to help not just support you as a family, but so that you're also better able uh, to to support uh, your brother in this instance. So let me thank you for calling in there, Albert. Unfortunately, uh, we've come to the end of our program. Dr. Naidu, thank you so much uh, for being part of this hour. Charlene as well. It's been incredible. Uh, enlightening being in conversation with you and I certainly hope that it has helped especially for those people who have uh, family members relatives loved ones who are suffering from uh, epilepsy but also I think just in terms of broader education of the community about this disease this is where I leave it for today on the talking point we're back with you again tomorrow bright and early between nine and midday up next the update at noon with Sakina